Welcome to our True Crime, True Family podcast. Quarantine equals no life, so we've decided to start a true crime podcast. I'm Emily, and along with my mom, Kate, and our cousin Paige, we will be discussing popular true crime documentaries and cases. Due to sensitive subject material and explicit language, viewer discretion is advised. Hey, welcome back this week with I Love You Now Die Part 2. Here with my mom, Kate, and my cousin Paige. Yay! Thanks, Em. <laughs> oh my god. So, we're doing I Love You Now Die Part 2, right? Yeah. Like, that was, the part two was crazy, because by the end of that, I was like, wait a second. Because when we first, like, watched the first part, like, I thought I'd watched both of them, but I think I only watched the first one before. Yeah, I... I know I definitely had watched the first one before, but I couldn't remember if I had watched the second one before. Yeah, no, I didn't, like, because at the end of the first one, I was really like, can you just, like, go somewhere and never speak again, Michelle? <laughs> but then the second one, I was, like, feeling bad for her, too. I mean, I felt yeah. uncomfortable for her in the first one. Oh, my God. I still can't imagine if my friends got up and they were like, well, we were teammates. I'd be like, oh, really, bitch? Sometimes she kind of had that face, like that look on her face, like, oh, really, bitch? Sometimes or most of the time. <laughs> yeah. But she look at that very on her face. annoying, too. Like, I would lose it if somebody texted me all needy the way she did. Yeah. And do you think she's like the type of person that like once she meets you for the first time she feels like your best friend? Yes. Because I always hated people and like she that. She probably like thanks you for being her friend and like like that's so awkward to me when someone's like thank you for being my friend. It's like well that's weird. Like well she said that to somebody like I can at least say that so and so was my friend. Oh, yeah, that whole, like, monologue. I was like, Jesus Christ. She just seems very delusional. And, like, she probably watched entirely too many high school, like, relationship shows. (laughs) (laughs) But so, part one covered the prosecution side of the case against Michelle Carter. And so I still don't agree that she should have been charged with manslaughter and the suicide of her boyfriend Conrad Roy I thought that probably like maybe like reckless endangerment would be like the only thing I could think of that made sense like she like there's no way he would have killed himself just on her encouraging him to alone so like that can't be on her right but I, I remember following that case when it happened and I didn't think that involuntary manslaughter was fair. Yeah, I mean, and I think it sounds like awful because like, yeah, she's a terrible person. Like for like, even if you just go off the base of like telling somebody, encouraging someone to kill themselves is like awful. Right. But like, that's not, I mean, it's not really illegal. People do it online all the time. Yeah. And, like, people, like, they're showing people talking to, like, news crews. And they're like, she should go kill herself. It's like, well, what if she did tonight? And then we came back tomorrow and we're like, hey, lady, um, you're under arrest. You told that girl she should kill herself and she did it. Like, you'd be pissed. Like, yeah. so it's just very odd to me. These people get very 
very in their feelings about her and are very weird. But so he had locked himself in a car, Conrad did, and he died by carbon monoxide poisoning, which I guess what you just like go to sleep. Um, Conrad, he killed himself in the parking lot of a Kmart and um, the police had gone through Conrad's phone. It was in the car when he died. And so they just happened to grab it. And they discovered a bunch of deter- disturbing texts between Conrad and Michelle, where Michelle was encouraging Conrad to end his own life. Um, so now they never actually, like, she never actually did this to Conrad, but Michelle texted one of her friends that Conrad had gotten out of the car and she told him to get back in. And so he got back in and that was kind of their whole basis for charging her. Um, so the prosecution believes that she encouraged Conrad to end his life so she could be the grieving girlfriend to get attention and sympathy. And Michelle's defense is that, you know, freedom of speech protects her for, for being responsible in this or being criminally liable for Conrad's death. And, um, she also, like, I can't get over how much she looks like Cara Delevingne. <laughs> um, and she's also super awkward and cringy. And so this episode is covering the defense's portion of the trial. And so it opens up with a text message from Michelle to Conrad from February 20th, 2014. Now he died July of 2014. So from Michelle, it's in all caps. And it says, what happened to you? Oh, my God. Are you okay? Did you get beat up? Conrad replies, fuck you. And I wrote, well, okay, then. (laughs) In court, police officer Justin King is testifying. Joseph Cataldo, who was one of Michelle's attorneys, I think he was the lead defense attorney for Michelle, asked him about an interaction with Conrad Roy Jr. So that's co-Conrad's dad. And... Conrad who killed himself is Conrad Roy the third so officer King had responded to an assault call Conrad Roy the third had a red swollen face and had lacerations all over his face and they show pictures and like he got the shit beat out of him mm-hmm. so officer King obtained a victim witness statement and it said I told dad I would now and I said no repeatedly for five to ten punches in the face and his girlfriend said I was a piece of shit so I left and I went to the neighbors like I'm, I'm sorry sir like now I get why you look like a total skis throughout the first one and I knew you were awful uh-huh. and he looks like one of those like men that are very small everywhere and he just uh-huh. is a bitch so Dennis Tavares who is also a police officer and was involved in that incident testified so he interviewed Conrad Roy Jr so Cohead assaulted his son Conrad was struck in the face and head with a closed fist multiple times he had to get medical treatment he was diagnosed as having a concussion and I was like oh excuse me like he got like that's you, that's not easy to do to someone. 
Yeah, punch a concussion into Yeah. Him. So he was, Co was arrested for assault and battery domestic. And I wrote, Conrad Jr. looks like a real bitch to me. <laughs> his head looks too big for his body, though, too. And his face looks like the kind of face, like, dogs make when they're in trouble. Like, he just looks like he shit in the corner of the room and he's just waiting for someone to figure it out. Um, he says like a whole bunch of things that sound like bad, stupid, and lame excuses. He's all like, I know what happened that night with my son and I know I was being a, a parent. It's like, yeah, a bad one. Like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, you gave him a concussion. That's not like, okay. Like, I don't. Oh, you were just being a parent. Yeah, an evil one. And I wrote, Portland, 2014 was not kind to her. Like, could you imagine? Like, because that's awful when, like, you have to send your kid to someone's house. And, like, they come home and they're like, oh, I have a concussion because my dad knocked me out. Like, oh, okay, thanks. Um, And I would have imagined that he was a nightmare to be married to. And he probably hit her. Probably. And fuck his girlfriend for calling him a piece of shit. Like, look what you're dating, ma'am. Like, (laughs) Co says he knows things got out of control and we both fought each other and I do it again just like that. I said, well, that's sweet. You you beat your son again? Apparently. He's like one of those people that's like, oh, I'm only abusing you for your own good. Like, let me take one for the team. He's probably that one. This is about to hurt me more than it hurts you. It's like, fuck off. Yeah. So, Jesse Barron from Esquire is back. And I don't, this guy annoyed me too. I don't know why. He just said a lot of stupid things. He says, You have to remember that this case has two families who are basically trying to do the same thing. They both want a version of the story in which it is not their fault. The Roys want a version where the suicide of their son is Michelle's fault and that she was waiting for the moment when she could pounce on this kid and make him kill himself and get a bunch of sympathy. And the Carters are hoping for a version of the story where Michelle's actions are not her fault. And that's what Peter Bregan was arguing. So the defense called Dr. Peter Bregan to the stand as their expert witness. Originally, Dr. Bregan was brought in to see whether Conrad Roy's medication had made him suicidal. And this is, like, not really related to this. But, like, this happens all the time. It's insane to me that, like, a depression medication could cause suicidal thoughts and ideations. Or, like, make your depression worse. Like, that's scary. Conrad was on psychiatric drugs and antidepressants. Uh, Dr. Bregan concluded that it was a contributing factor, but not an overwhelming factor, um, because there were many other things impinging on Conrad. So they're showing texts from Conrad's mother, Lynn, to Michelle. And Lynn says, I'm angry with myself because I think maybe if I would have told him to stay away from his dad's family, maybe things would have been been different there's so much anxiety that i have because some of his dad and his family members have blood on their hands which like i don't think just because michelle encouraged him to commit suicide that that also still wasn't a factor Mm -hmm. 
So Dr. Bregan says that Conrad was reacting to a very unhappy, angry, and at times violent divorce. The father accused the mother of assault. He alleged that Lynn slapped him across the face while they were arguing about marital problems. I'm like, okay, I'm real sure. Dr. Brecken also found out that Michelle was on psychiatric drugs also. He says that they were not star-crossed lovers, they were drug-crossed. Michelle began taking antidepressants when she was 14. She was prescribed Prozac. Dr. Bregan says Prozac greatly increases the risk of suicide in young people her age. She should have never been given Prozac because she was bulimic and that would increase the power of Prozac over her. Not long after her first exposure to Prozac, she climbed up on a stool and put a noose around her neck in her closet. And so then they show a text that Michelle sent to Sam Boardman from March 2014. So this is even before Conrad was trying to kill himself. So she said, I tried to hang myself. I got a chair and the rope and everything and researched how to tie the stupid knot. I got up on the chair and stood there for like 25 minutes just crying. And I put the rope around my neck and I was going to do it, but chickened out. I was so angry and frustrated and disgusted with myself for not having the balls to do it. Which that's very sad. But if I was like 17 years old and my friend sent me that text I feel like I would avoid that friend like the plague yeah like I'd like maybe call their mom because I would feel like guilty if I said nothing but then I would not want to like I would have been so uncomfortable like with big feelings like that like big emotions like that I would have been like huh like I also like I don't know I know this sounds awful of me but, like, who advertises that they're going to commit suicide? Like, I guess that's, like, a cry for help or whatever. Yeah. Or just... just not saying, like, this is what I want to do. But, like, I feel like if you're really suicidal, like, don't you, like, kind of just, like, get it together and do it quietly? Yeah. Um, which is awful because, like, I mean, you would hope if someone said something or someone saw a sign that they would have done something, but... Still, it's, like, kind of weird. Yeah. At the same moment, Conrad Roy, whom at that point she thought was a sweet boyfriend without any serious problems, was admitted to a psychiatric hospital for a serious suicide attempt. And so then it says text from October 2012. So I don't know, because I thought they just said from 2014, and then it's, like, at the same moment, and then they should text from two years before. But so Michelle said, hey, and Conrad's like, what up? And she's like, not much, really, just listening to music, you. And he's like, do you care what's been happening to me? And she's like, what's been happening? And he's like, uh, I stayed in the hospital last week. And she's like, why? And I was instantly irritated by Conrad with his, uh, I stayed in the hospital last week bullshit. Like, she knew all about it and was there when it happened. Right. Like, shut up. And he's like, because I'm weak and sensitive and not sure why you even liked me in the first place. And Michelle's like, was it like therapy? And because you made me feel special, Conrad. And Conrad's like, yeah, I tried to kill myself. And I wrote, these two are exhausting. (laughs) Dr. Bregan testifies that Michelle was young and on Prozac and is now dealing with this huge disclosure. Conrad is telling her that he is not the person she thought he was. Conrad texts Michelle that voices in his head are telling him to kill himself. 
which again, I, at 17, for sure, no, I would not have been able to deal with somebody's feelings that were like that. Right. He then texts her, I just wanted you to know, so if you text me and I don't respond, that's why. And I wrote, well, that's manipulative and rude. Like, why are you going to be like, I'm about to kill myself, so if I don't reply, that's why I'm dead. Like, you ass. This seems like very manipulative. Yeah. So she became desperate. She wasn't answering back, so she thought he had killed himself. He had attempted suicide at least four times, and I... I was like, wait a second. I thought Lynn was like, I had no idea he had these problems. Like, um, I think you know that he has problems if he's attempted suicide four times. Yeah, I was so just she, kind of annoyed with her because she always kept saying that she had no clue. But how do you not have any clue when... Well, yeah. And I mean, I would think even if he was like 13 and he had tried to commit suicide... At 37, if he said something weird, you'd still be like, are you suicidal? Like, you, I feel like you'd be worried about it. Yeah. Um, so, Lynn says that Conrad had overdosed on acetaminophen. Like, okay. Like, just, does, do people really think Tylenol is, like, the thing to go, the way to go? Would have that to seems a lot of acetaminophen. Well, I feel like you might die, but it wouldn't be like an overdose. It'd be like you died because you destroyed your liver and now you can't yeah. get a transplant. Yeah. EMTs told Lynn that he had thrown up a lot and asked her if she wanted Conrad to be seen. And she said, absolutely. Lynn says that he almost needed a liver transplant. Conrad promised her that he would never do that again. And Lynn told him that if he died, she would want to die too. And like, I was watching that like how did she not know that something was wrong then if like she's telling us this story mm-hmm. but so conrad texted overdosing on pills doesn't work if i'm gonna overdose on pills it's gonna be sleeping pills it's like a two percent fatal rate for tylenol and how fucking stupid would you feel if you like overdosed on tylenol and then had to wake up and like go to the hospital and be like oh only 2% of people die off Tylenol. Like, you idiot. Like, I don't know why that annoyed me, but it's like, what did you think Tylenol was going to do? They give Tylenol to babies. Oh, he's a kid. I mean, I would, I would assume that nothing over the counter, like, I mean, if you are going to take anything over the counter, the amount that you would have to take in order to kill yourself, you would throw up far before you ever, like, your body ever let you get to that amount of, like, whatever. Uh-huh. Like, I think if you took, like, a bottle of Benadryl, you'd probably end up, like, throwing up and not dying. Yeah. But, so Joseph Cataldo asked Dr. Bregan, why was that relevant? And Dr. Bregan says, well, it has to do with the effects of Conrad on what will eventually become her idea taken for from him that he's going to kill himself and that all he cares about is doing it swiftly and quickly and not botching it. She's following his lead into a very dark place. And like part this guy, some of the stuff he said made sense, but then like some of it, I was like, okay, you aren't helping her in any way. Mm-hmm. So Conrad said, I saw the devil already. And Michelle's like, me too. And how did you? 
And Conrad said he was at the hospital one night staring at me and he told me to kill them all. And Michelle's like, are you serious? And he says, dead serious. Like, I, I really, I would be so annoyed by him. I couldn't be his friend in real life. There's no way. Michelle said, I've seen him too. I see him a lot, actually. And Conrad says, maybe we were meant to be together. The devil brought us. And Michelle's like, we are destined for hell then? And he's like, yeah. And she says, Michelle, Michelle says, but babe, even if I do go to hell, I'm happy it's with you. Like, shut up. Like, they're both stupid. And she says, like, she's just going to agree and repeat anything. He's, she's like that friend that like gets a boyfriend and you know if that boyfriend's into rap then all of a sudden she's into rap like that's how Michelle sounds <laughs> like she doesn't have a personality of her own she just kind of morphs whatever guy will talk to her so Michelle sounds like she just goes along with everything and anything that he says and Conrad sounds like Eeyore like he's seriously depressing Dr. Bregan testifies that one of the most common side effects of antidepressants is vivid nightmares, so it's possible that they did believe they saw demons. He says that both of them are clearly out of their minds. I mean, yeah, I think they're both out of their minds, and I think that if Conrad had said that he saw a unicorn coming from its horn, that Michelle would have said she saw that too. Yeah. So on June 29th, 2014, two weeks before Conrad's death, Conrad texts, there's nothing anyone can do for me that's going to make me want to live. It's very bad to hear, but I wanted to let you know that truthfully, we should be like Romeo and Juliet at the end. This dumb bitch is like, ha ha, I'd love to be your Juliet. And he's like, but do you know what happens at the end? And she's like, oh yeah, fuck no, we're not dying. Like, you're an idiot, man. I'm like, be parents, maybe like peek into your kids' phones a little bit. Cataldo says that you can't look at one text message. You have to look at the totality of their relationship. Conrad was suicidal for a very long time. He was very intent on killing himself. Michelle, for a year and a half, never wanted him to die, didn't want him to kill himself, like tried to talk him out of it. So what caused her to switch? And Michelle texts, part of me wants you to try something and fail just so you can go get help. And I mean that they are so weird. Both of them are. It's like just like a very unfortunate thing that they came together. Yeah. So Dr. Bregan says, it struck me that she was in an extremely abusive relationship. There's this constant harassing of her while he's not telling family. And at one point towards the end, Conrad tells her the one thing that will make me hate you is if you tell anyone that I'm suicidal. And Michelle listened. She got it all. There's this huge pyramid of his misery. And at the bottom of it is sitting Michelle Carter and nobody else. So Conrad had told Michelle that his mother knew that he was suicidal. And... So then we see text exchange and Conrad says, my mom's just on my laptop. And Michelle's like, what's on your laptop? Did your mom see? And he said, the page said suicide methods on the front. And she looked right at it. She definitely saw it and read it. And she just ignored it. She definitely read it. She knows what I'm going through. And maybe she will understand. And then this is bizarre because Michelle's like, yeah, maybe she's accepting it. That's really good, right? 
Cataldo says that Conrad was manipulating and lying to Michelle, saying that even my mom knows. And, like, that's true. And it does also, from the first episode, when Michelle was like, or when Lynn was like, when Michelle texted me, like, we both tried to save him, and I was like, uh, what are you talking about? I didn't even know that he was feeling this way. Like, if he's telling her that Lynn sees all this, all this stuff, maybe she thinks that like Lynn was trying to like let him get it out I don't know maybe like, maybe the mom didn't even see well right yeah but also I think like maybe Michelle really did think like she knew and was like trying to be helpful in whatever way she knew how or like maybe she thought like if he's telling her that that his mom doesn't care maybe that's what pushed her into being like okay well if his mom wants it then I guess it's fine yeah I mean it's dumb but yeah, and, mean, like, you would think as a parent, like, you would take some, especially to a teenager, you would take some sort of responsibility for that action or feel responsible, and it was, like, she almost didn't. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, like, because I do, like, I feel bad for anybody that loses a child. Like, that's really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think losing someone to suicide is, like, a lot worse just because, like, you can't, you know, like, you'll never get your answers for, like, why did you feel this way or, like, didn't you know that people cared about you or whatever. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. Like, she was very weird to me, the mom. Mm -hmm. And then I was, like, wondering, like, was she so caught up in her own divorce that she just, like, didn't even notice what was going on with her kids? Yeah. That's very so. Uh, but Dr. Bregan says that both Michelle and Conrad were victims of the psychiatric drugs. On the stand, Dr. Bregan is asked by Cataldo to explain what involuntary intoxication is. Dr. Bregan says it's an intoxication, which means that the neurochemistry of the brain has been disrupted. This intoxication is observable through thoughts, behaviors, activities. They involve, in general, things like impulsivity, impaired judgment, and Dr. Bregan concluded that Michelle was involuntarily intoxicated. She had been on Prozac and was switched to Celexa. He believes this began on July 2nd when she begins to help him go to heaven. And now, like, I get what he's saying, but I think, like, the term involuntary intoxication is, like, a bad term to use. Because that makes it sound like, oh, she had no control. And, like, I don't know. It just sounds weird. But Michelle texts, Jesus will take care of you, babe. You'll be happy and protected in heaven. I just want you to finally be happy. So, so happy. Heaven needs a hero. And I was like, okay. Like, God, she's so weird. Dr. Bregan says she's involuntarily intoxicated where she's not forming a criminal intent of I'm going to harm him. She's not doing something that she thinks is criminal. This is bad. She's thinking it's bad, but she's also thinking it's a good thing to help him die that she can mitigate the circumstances. Um, and Michelle says, if you take all the pills in those bo- in all those boxes and fall asleep with a bag taped tightly to your head so no air can get in, you'll definitely die, babe. That and she thinks she can go help his family. And then she texts him like Conrad, of course I will be there for your family. I will help them as much as I can to get through this. 
And he says, and like anybody who's in a hypomanic state, she gets very angry when she is disrupted. And this is when she starts badgering him about when are you going to do it? And Dr. Bregan says that Michelle believes she finally found a way to help Conrad. So on July 12th, she's texting him like first thing, like, are you awake? And he's like, yeah. She's like, are you going to do it today? And Conrad's like, yeah. And she's like, like in the daytime, he's like, should I? And she's like, yeah, it's less suspicious. You won't think about it as much and you'll get it over with instead of waiting until the night. It's like, okay, calm down, Michelle. So he said, yeah, well, then what? then I will where and she's like go in your truck and drive in a parking lot somewhere or a park or something and he's like I don't know why I'm like this and she says sometimes things happen and we never have the answers why and Conrad says why am I so hesitant lately and Michelle says you're so hesitant because you keep overthinking it and pushing it off you need to just do it Conrad the more you push it off the more it will eat at you and he says you're right She says, if you want it as bad as you say you do, then it's time to do it today. Like, what is she like? It's like, she's insane. (laughs) She reminds me of that friend who complains about like her like boyfriend or husband 24 seven. And so then when you finally get fed up with them too, like, you're like, just fucking break up. Okay. (laughs) Like, are you going to do it today? Can you leave your husband? I can't listen to him anymore. Yeah. So they keep going back and forth. And Michelle's like, I would never leave you. You're the love of my life. Your boyfriend. You're my heart. I'd never leave you. Like Michelle reminds me of like somebody that is pretending their life is a movie. Like it's not like she she doesn't seem like she's like lives in reality that much. So Conrad says something like, aw, and she's like, I love you. And he said, I love you too. And so that entire day of the 12th is her asking him if he's going to do it, when he's going to do it, how she's going to do it. And he sounds hesitant and she just keeps encouraging him. So she's the last person to speak to him on the phone before he dies. And then on September 15th, 2014, a few months after his death, Michelle texts Sam Boardman. Sam, his death is my fault. Like, honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone with him and he got out of the car because it was working and he got scared. And I fucking told him to get back in, Sam. And I wrote, um, why would you ever text that to someone? Like, why would you say you that out she- loud? Say that could to you- him? She, I don't think that she probably, I don't, I don't know that he got out of the car. I don't think I believe that he got out of the car. I think she said that to continue to get Uh more attention. Like, I think, and I don't think, like, she would have encouraged him to kill for the attention alone. But I think she was delusional, and she thought, like, her whole fucking life was some, like, you know, like, teen romance. And that she, like, made everything dramatic. And read too much into everything. I don't know. Because that's like the only way that they even knew that happened. Was because she said it to Sam. Like that that was never in their texts mm-hmm. together. So who even knows? 
But this other doctor, Dr. Ann Glowinski, says involuntary intoxication is a diagnosis that I never use and that most of the colleagues I know don't use, but that is using forensic psychiatry. So I don't, I don't know what she's talking about. I think she was saying like, it's not like a day-to-day thing that they use, but if you're talking to someone that's like doing like the forensic psychiatry that maybe they talk about involuntary intoxication i wasn't really sure what she was Mm -hmm. talking about but so without any consensus by our profession that it is even real in some children and adolescents taking antidepressants it can be disinhibiting i wouldn't call it drastic but if you become manic when you're on antidepressants that's pretty drastic and that happens in a very small proportion of cases Which I guess that's true, but like if it happens, it happens. But she's a child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I don't know. The whole thing is like very, like, they're not going to be able to tell you for sure whether or not medicine would have, you know, like I'm sure it's always a contributing factor. But, like, you can't be sure one way or another if, like, would you still have said it if you weren't on any medication or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, again, like, like, I would think that most antidepressants are, like, harmless. Like, I would have thought, like, oh, it's just, you know, your doctor wouldn't prescribe it to you if it wasn't safe. But then I also know, like, I've been on them and, like, you don't feel normal and you don't understand really why you don't feel normal. And... So, like, uh, it's it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you ever seen that movie? I think it's called, like, Side Effects. No. With Channing Tatum and someone. It's, like, it's a... They kind of, like, she kills her husband and they blame it on the pills. So, it was kind of interesting. I've seen it, like, I don't know. I think I watched it, like, a year ago. Mm-hmm. It's a decent movie. But, um... I don't know. I think they were just they were both dealing with a lot of like big, big issues and they were just toxic together. Yeah. So prosecutor Katie Rayburn cross-examines Dr. Bregan and she like off like the rip sounded irritated by him. She asks him if he agrees that at the time of Conrad's death, Michelle was going to camps, interacting with friends at times, seeking therapy, talking to a therapist, um, that her therapist said she was well-groomed, maintained eye contact, her short-term memory was intact, and she had good judgment, no abnormalities in her behavior, appropriate affect, um, insight is good, long-term memory is intact, and he's saying yes to everything. And so then Katie Rayburn is like, but she didn't know right from wrong at the same time. And Bregan says, well, actually, she thought she was doing absolutely the right thing. So Rayburn brings up that on July 10th or 11th, Michelle's texting Sam Boardman that Conrad was missing, even though Michelle was also in contact with Conrad at the same time. So, like, obviously he wasn't missing. Bregan is like, yes, it's very strange. I can't find a rational reason why she would have ever been doing this. I think it's part of a very confused, delusional state where she's coming in and out of what's happening. What am I doing? Rayburn says, how about the rational reason that she wanted to know how her friends would react when he killed himself? 
And Dr. Bregan's like, no, I can't imagine that would be motivating her to be opening up this horrible, bizarre activity she's involved in. You would expect her not to do anything like that. And then he starts laughing. And I was like, what on earth? Like, get it together. You're on, like, the stand, sir. (laughs) And, like, he just says it like she's stupid that she's not following, like, this very convoluted, like, conclusion he's come to. And, like, she says, but she's saying that she's concerned for him while at the same time talking to him. And Bregan's like, yeah, I mean, I think it's really crazy. Like, he did not, like, he, I don't think he did a good job for them. Like, he didn't, and I don't think that he's necessarily wrong. Like, his points were probably right, but the way he carried himself, he sounded like an idiot. The doctor? Yeah. He could have made it more clear. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, like, that's weird, right? It's like, can't, sir, <laughs> like, what are you doing? So Katie Rayburn was not amused. And so she makes him acknowledge all these different facts, like, to prove that Michelle knew exactly what she was doing. And then, like, he wouldn't have an answer for when she's like, but she didn't know what she was doing. And so, like, she's just asking him, did you take all these different things into consideration? And, you know, he says that, yes, he considered everything. Raven points out she never told her mother anything was wrong. She only told her friends, the same friends she spent a year begging to hang out with. And they routinely don't hang out with her. Dr. Bregan says, oh, I don't know that. So Rayburn is asking, could that affect his opinion? He's like, that it would turn her to, into a crazy person who transformed her character, became grandiose, and encouraged a young man whom she loved and had been working and had been working again and again to get better. That she turned on him and started to encourage him to die. No, I don't think so. She's psychotic, deluded, she's disturbed. Everything you're describing is why I concluded she's got an involuntary intoxication. I think he'd be very frustrating to question attorney because mm-hmm. he's not explaining it that well. And I think her encouragement of Conrad was, I don't know that she was trying to get sympathy, but I think she was taking advantage of the situation. Like, I mean, I don't like, I don't think she went into it and was like, Oh, I'm going to do this so I can get sympathy. But I think it's kind of like, Oh, I'm in this fucked up situation. But if I, like now that I'm dealing with it, people are going to feel sorry for me. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, like she took advantage of what was going on. Not necessarily. That's like what she set out to do. Mm -hmm. And I actually kind of believe it's like a little bit of both of the things. Like she's clearly delusional. She's depressed. And I think all of it snowballed. Like Mm -hmm. the thing she said is awful. And it's baffling why she didn't get help for him. Like, I I don't think I could know that somebody was going to kill themselves and not call 911. Like, I, I would have to. I, I just couldn't not do that. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, call his mom and be like, is he with you? Because, like, he's saying things that are scaring me. Um, but... Rayburn tried to make all of that a really big point, but 
then at the same time, like lots of kids don't confide in their parents too. Like, why would she go to her mom? Like, I didn't tell my mom a lot of things when I was a teenager. Like, and I certainly don't go around talking about like when I'm depressed, it's not like I want to sit there and talk about it. Right. Like, I just want to be left alone and have the remote. That's it. That's all. And like Conrad wasn't always that nice to her either. And like, so like she probably kind of just went along with whatever he was saying because she didn't want him to stop talking to her. Yeah, because he said if she told anybody, he would stop talking to her. Well, yeah, like I think she's just like a really like sad, sick person. I don't know. It's like embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And so they start showing more texts and Michelle says, babe, I have a question. And Conrad says, what? And Michelle said, do you think we will end up getting married? And he replied, are you okay? And she said, yeah, why? And <laughs> like, that's embarrassing. You asked, will we get end up getting married? Are you okay? Did you hit your head? Like, <laughs> um, Jesse Barron said that like, if you look at it from, like, the prosecutor side, it seems very cut and dry. But that the way he saw it was that the relationship was much more Michelle's fantasy and Michelle's idea than it was Conrad's. Like, Conrad didn't really care. Like, he might say stuff to her, but he didn't really consider her his girlfriend. But she was all, like, wrapped up in this fantasy. And then Conrad texts her, fuck you, bitch. And I was like, that's rude. <laughs> Jesse says that Conrad was alternate, alternately mean to her, kind of negging her for most of the relationship. I didn't know what negging meant, so I looked it up. And it's an act of emotional manipulation whereby a person makes a deliberate backhanded compliment or otherwise flirtatious remark to another person to undermine their confidence and increase their need of the manipulator's approval, which he obviously did. You didn't know what nagging meant? Well, I know what nagging means. I don't, I didn't know what negging means. Negging? Yeah, negging is oh. different than nagging. Nagging is like getting on like someone's case, and, like yeah. not shutting up about it. Huh? That's what I thought you were saying. No, no, no. The negging was like, it's like, you know, like it's like being like, oh my gosh, like that outfit looks nice even with your wide hips. And it's like, what? <laughs> But they were a very weird couple. They only lived an hour away from each other. And they only saw each other. And I know they were like teenagers. But she was 17 and he was 18. And like they had access to cars and stuff. So that's kind of weird. And they would make plans and end up canceling them like all these different times. And it was weird because like they were both fine with it. It wasn't like they made plans and then one of them will get upset or like it wasn't always the same one of them like canceled. It happened on both ends and they just like didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's very, they're very odd. Their entire relationship was via text message. And you know what? I'm glad texting wasn't big when I was like their age because I probably never would have like left my house and met anyone. Well, like, I feel like teenagers don't know how to talk on the phone. It just seems like they both seem so sad. It's, like, weird watching it. Because I just feel bad for everyone involved. Yeah. 
are like like I'm sure that's why Michelle was the way she was like she did all these things like in her phone she didn't like her friends didn't want to hang out with her this boyfriend she had lived an hour away you know like she would probably read into every little thing that happened because like you don't know tone over text like what people are actually typing like I mean could have just been replying to her to get her to shut up like or he could have like been fucking around thinking he was funny and like here she's taking everything very serious mm-hmm. I mean I don't think he was like joking about anything but Michelle is very weird like, they didn't see each other that much. They didn't seem like they talked on the phone. It was all over text. So, if you're already delusional and strange, like, she probably didn't even think of him as, like, Conrad, the person that everyone else knew. She's like, oh, here's Conrad, this figment of my imagination that I'm, like, making him sweet and this loving boyfriend. With. I mean, like, you see people in actual current relationships that see each other all the time, like, be delusional as fuck and like like your husband's clearly cheating on you and you're like um no he said blah 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 it's like oh he said but didn't you just get chlamydia like come on lady (laughs) so I do also believe that like uh, for sure she can make up this whole false narrative and believe it people believe all sorts of lies um and just because she's delusional doesn't mean you don't recognize that you will look insane telling people all your delusional thoughts. You, I think most teenagers, they just want to blend in and be normal. Like, they don't always want to stand out. I don't know. It seemed like the trial was trying to find, like, a, a real simple answer for a very complicated and complex situation that they weren't going to get to the bottom of. Mm-hmm. Like, both these kids needed help. Neither of them got the help that they needed and they didn't really have anybody in their life that could take a step back and be like okay you know you need like help figuring out what's healthy and what's not mm-hmm. you know like Conrad's family was going through the divorce or whatever so I'm sure they're all up in their own like thoughts and feelings about what they're going through and like I don't know they didn't really go into any of Michelle's family but I don't know. Michelle's really unfortunate in my opinion. Like at the beginning of this you see her and she's like pretty and she appears like you would think she was just like a normal teenager. Mm-hmm. But then she has like no friends and is awkward as fuck and she sounds like this complete monster but then you found out it's not exactly as bad as it initially comes across and like Conrad wasn't all that nice to her. Like he's always texting her fuck you bitch and acting like if you don't hear from him like I probably just killed myself, so don't worry about it. Like, that's insane. hmm And I don't know. Like, I do believe she has blame. Like, I don't know if I think it's all legal blame, but, like, she didn't behave correctly, but it's, like, for one, not how it appeared at the beginning, and for two, like, he still decided to do it. Like, it's not, you can't put it all on her. So Michelle says, remember how I said I had a present for you? He says, I bought you a star. Like, I have a certificate and everything. I named the star Conrad Roy III. Like, what a worthless present. 
And like you just spent your money to like so someone printed out a piece of paper that's like congratulations this star is named Conrad Roy the third no one else on fucking earth is gonna know that that star is named Conrad fucking idiot it's like when Sheena adopted a penguin for Adam on Vanderpump Rules like he's never gonna see that penguin Sheena get out And Michelle was like texting and she's like, it's your own star because you shine so bright. Like, first of all, I know one goddamn thing about that kid, Conrad. He did not shine bright. He had like a rain cloud hanging over him at all times. She's like, you're the light that gives me strength. You're this great beacon of light that guides me through the darkness. And I really half expected Conrad to reply cool things and like not even spell thanks out. Just be like THX. And again, if I was dating somebody and at 17 they sent me anything like this, like about me being a beacon of light, like I can guarantee you they're not getting a response back and probably <laughs> gonna like get rid of them. Conrad said, if you have a son, I want you to name him Conrad and you can tell him all about me. Like, first of all, please don't because Conrad is not a good name. Uh, but she says, I was already planning that. I mean, I was kind of hoping you'd be his daddy, but I'm going to name him Conrad after you. And I will tell him all about you and what we had and how much I loved you. And I wrote, oh, I'm real sure your future husband's going to love that. <laughs> Conrad says, have him read a lot about tugboats and introduce him to baseball. And she's like, he's going to be the, the star baseball player on his team. And yes, I'm going to buy him toy boats to use in the tub and I'm going to read him books about little tugboats like I rolled my eyes like hard at this part I was like shut up you idiots like when I was 17 or 18 I thought I didn't even ever want to have kids and like then I ended up being the first one of us to have a kid so like what do we know at 17 yeah I feel like had they been like closer together they would have had a kid before they were even 18 Oh, these two, she would have got a hundred percent gotten pregnant on purpose. Yeah. It's so disgusting. Ugh. Yeah, they're idiots. No, I really like for a while I was like, I don't think I ever want to have kids. Like that's like I don't like pain and childbirth doesn't sound fun. <laughs> that that I think like more so than like how am I going to pay for this? Or like how am I going to raise a child? I was like um i don't know how is that thing gonna come out again (laughs) yeah can you tell me that part of the story you cannot put me to sleep for this (laughs) are you absolutely certain (laughs) no i was terrified like i i cried very hard when i thought i was like oh my vagina (laughs) and like i was also mad because like like i had not slept like around at all i had please <laughs> what i like i did not sleep around i had sex with two people and i ended up pregnant i'm like oh great now I'm this big old whore mm-hmm. i was upset about it <laughs> those were the things i worried about and i was 22 and look i was proud of that 22 i was like Oof. at least i wasn't some loser like teen mom like 22 is that much better i was like i'm grown what an idiot I was. But Michelle romanticized everything. 
even suicide. And so, like, making me dislike her even more. Michelle was a big fan of Glee. Like, Emily watches that. I never (laughs) did. But, like, every time she has it on, I'm like, what is this loser show again? (laughs) So, the stars of the show, well, two of them were Leah Michelle and Corey Monteith. And um, can we just acknowledge that that show has, like, a lot lot of deaths? Yeah. Of the people that were on it. Yes. And, like, gross stuff, like, that puck guy, like, didn't he, wasn't he, like, into child Yeah, that's porn? why he killed himself, because he was going to go to jail for it. Yeah. So, Leah, Michelle, and Corey Monteith were a couple on the show, but they were also a couple in real life. And um, I think they were even engaged, but I'm not sure. Michelle Carter was obsessed with Leah Michelle. And I always heard Leah Michelle as like a big old bitch and like a pain in the ass. But I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with this. But so Michelle would quote lines from Glee as if she came up with it herself, which the like the amount that I was cringing during this, like first one's so stupid and lame. So they show Leah Michelle say in Glee. You were my first love, and I wanted more than anything for you to be my last. So Michelle texted that to Conrad. Like, a big fucking loser. Like, what if he had watched the show and been like, um, thanks for quoting Glee, you weirdo. <laughs> um, so, Corey Monteith died, uh, like, of a drug overdose in a hotel um, in 2018. Was it 2018? Uh-uh. 13, sorry. I wrote it wrong. 2013. Oh, was it that? So, yeah. Well, that's how I knew it was wrong because I knew, like, he died before Conrad did and it looked like I wrote 2018 because I wrote it small but it's really 2013. So, Glee was still on the air when he died so the show killed Finn who was his character off and I never watched that show so I don't know how he died but I guess the cast filmed like a really sad and depressing tribute to him on the show and you know Leah Michelle sings a song in his honor and everyone is devastated because character in the show died mm-hmm. and then it's like you know very meta that they're grieving on the show but then all these people are also grieving in real life because they all knew and worked with him and so I don't know. So Michelle says, I just want you to know how much you mean to me. And I really do love you. And you are a blessing to me. And I'm so lucky that I got to have you in my life to witness your beautiful heart, handsome smile and amazing personality. Um, Jesse says she texted that. And. Oh, she Jesse says that she texted that it made her think of losing him, but they didn't show that text. And so Conrad replies, why are you saying this sounds fishy? Which, like, geez, the key sounds like a big old jerk the more this goes on. <laughs> so Jesse says that Michelle had this entire situation going on in her own delusional mind that really had nothing to do with Conrad specifically. And, like, 
Conrad's this asshole. She sends him this nice text, like delusional or not. She's still obviously complimenting him. And he's like, mm, that sounds fishy. Like, fuck you. It is fishy because you're a dick. Michelle says, no, sorry. Nothing's wrong. I'm just watching Glee and they are doing the tribute episode to Cory Monteith. And it's just making me realize that someday you may not be here anymore and stuff. And Corey Monteith died almost a year to the day before Conrad died. So, you know, they say that Michelle probably put herself in Leah Michelle's thinking if her boyfriend died, it would make them be similar and everyone would react to her, how people reacted on the show. And I don't know. I don't think Michelle went out of her way to make that happen. But I do believe that she would have bought into it and, like, she could have, like, talked herself into supporting Conrad's suicide by being like, oh, you know, I'll do it this way or whatever. Like, she just needs a psych evaluation, not really jail. (laughs) She probably, maybe she needs both. I don't know. They show another Glee scene with Leah Michelle and Michelle texts someone the same lines and Michelle had texted, I just had it all planned out with Conrad. So obviously, um, you know, Leah Michelle was saying that about Finn or whatever. And she's like, now I have to do something different, maybe something better. I just don't think that that's possible. He was my person, you know. And Michelle also quotes things that Leah Michelle said about Corey Monteith after his death in various interviews, like on Ellen, which is very weird. So Michelle texts, he was the greatest man I ever knew. And I literally lived every day feeling like the luckiest girl in the world. And Jesse says that Michelle didn't know who she was. Like, oh, you think? Michelle says, is it possible to be in love with two people at the same time if they both weren't boys? And Olivia texts back, yes, of course. And Michelle says, do you remember how I was really good friends with a girl named Alice? Jesse tells us that Alice was a teammate of Michelle's on a travel softball team in 2012. They instantly became incredibly close and they would have sleepovers and everything. And Michelle said, she just made me feel things that no one else made me feel like she was my best friend. Jesse says it was an intense teen friendship that was almost like a love affair for Michelle. And so Michelle's saying, I thought it was a phase at first. Like I thought we were just really good friends, but we started talking like a relationship would flirting and stuff. And it wasn't awkward. Like IDK, it felt normal with her because she felt the same way. Like, IDK if I am bi, I guess, because I never had that type of relationship with another girl to really tell. And so kind of abruptly around the time that Michelle had met Conrad, Alice cut off all contact with Michelle. And so Michelle's texting someone that her mom told Alice to stop talking to me because apparently I was getting Alice in trouble too much. So in 2014... Um, over the summer Michelle for some reason starts really missing Alice and this is also right around the time that Conrad is really suicidal and so Michelle says I still really love Alice and I can't get myself away from it and it's a problem because I'll just compare everyone to her like I have a problem I'm like obsessed with her ha ha like ha ha And then she says, like, IDK, how to stop every love song or whatever. It's her I think about. I've left Conrad with everything that I am, but I'm still in love with Alice. I think about her all the time. 
So Jesse contacted Alice for an interview and he met Alice and her mother and they agreed to meet him to say that Michelle was a sociopath and she made everything up. And they want to be on record and clear that there was never anything physical about the relationship. And Jesse's like, well, if I didn't feel bad for Michelle Carter before now, I did after that. Um, And he said he felt sympathy for how alone Michelle was. And I mean, that is sad. And but who even knows what the truth is? Because this girl lies all the time. And she's certainly not above making something up or living in a fantasy world. And I don't even know that she would like do it intentionally. But like, if she built all this stuff up in her head, and then she's just like in one world is in another or, you know, whatever. I don't know. She's so weird. It's annoying talking about her a little bit. Um, like, cause I could also see like, that's how Michelle felt and like Michelle read into things and then she probably did something and Alice didn't feel the same and then backed off. And so then Michelle made it up in her head that Alice's mom didn't want her to be around. Um, so I don't know, like, or Alice maybe told that as an excuse to like get out of hanging out with her, and because I'm sure Michelle was clingy as shit. Yeah, but I did also find it odd that like you, they went out of their way to go meet with that guy to like just say, "Oh, that never happened." Like that seems like a lot of effort to go to. I just been like, uh, no, she was not my friend. I don't want to be linked to her. <laughs> Um, Michelle's relationship with Conrad does make more sense like if you're looking at it from like she was trying to be normal so she was like forcing it if like she was like feeling like a lesbian or bisexual like and not ever caring if they actually saw each other and like making it this like thing that wasn't really real I mean, would people really care about... Well, I guess people still care if their kids are, like, bisexual or gay. But, like, I wouldn't care. Right. Like, I don't care if it's a girl, a boy. Like, don't kill people and, like, don't bring assholes around. And that's all I ask. Um, who knows? And, like, you know, they're all melodramatic. She just seems like she got a lot extra like teenagers make no sense like i live with one like emily wants to get her belly button pierced but she cries if someone has to give her a shot i was like how's that gonna work (laughs) and she's like a good kid like i couldn't imagine having like a bad one yeah she's like the best of the best like that's like i know to just be grateful for that Uh and she's so kind of crazy yeah, she said that. She's like, oh, I want to get my belly button pierced. I was like, oh, you do? Really? Like, am I going to have to hold your hand through that? Hold you down? She's like, it's not the same. I'm like, yeah, belly button piercing is way more painful than shots. She is ridiculous about those shots. Like, I've <laughs> never seen anything like it. I don't like them, but I at least can act like a normal person about it. <laughs> I don't know. Lynn says that Michelle didn't live in reality. She lived in some kind of fantasy and she's just not a well person. 
And so Lynn's kind of like, so how can you be that angry or how can you be, you know, upset? Like, she's just not well. Which, you know, I guess that's nice of her to say. I mean, it's true. She's not well. And But also, ma'am, like, maybe you and your husband should have paid attention to your son just a little bit more. Like, don't tell me you had no clue what was going on if he committed suicide or, like, attempted suicide four times. Like, you knew if you took him to the psychologist and had him on antidepressants, you knew that something was wrong. So don't sit here and act like, I have no clue. Yeah. And maybe she's more saying, like, yeah, I knew he was struggling, but I didn't, I never thought he would take it that far. I thought he was just being melodramatic, but that's not what she's saying on the screen. Right. And. Uh, I mean, it is just kind of hard. Like, I I don't know, as Conrad's parents, like, does... Not that, like, it matters what the victim's family think in terms of, like, whether or not something is illegal or not illegal or how you would, you know, sentence somebody. Like, I don't necessarily think that matters. But, like, would you really... I, like, I don't think I ever would have pushed for this case to go to trial if I were His Conrad's parents. parents. Yeah. I would be like look he did it like that girl whatever she did unless she was there holding a gun to his head telling him to do it like she can't you know like she didn't do the right thing morally but like I'm not going to take away someone else's freedom for the rest of their life like if anything I would be encouraging them to get her psychiatric treatment instead of jail time mm-hmm but I don't know that I would ever, I don't, I don't think you blame her. Like if you're blaming her, it's because you are embarrassed of whatever part, you know, you played in it. And maybe not that, that it, it's also not on her or her, his dad, if someone commits suicide, but like, I feel like when you're unwilling to look at like yourself, that says something about you, like, you know, there was something you didn't do right. That you just don't want to bring up anymore. Mm-hmm. But Jesse says the pattern that would happen in the last few weeks of Conrad's life is Conrad would say, I'm going to do it tonight. And then the next morning he would be alive. And then, you know, a few days later, he would do the same thing. And like, I don't know, it's sad because like, on one hand, I think that kid is clearly screaming for help by continuously telling people he's going to commit suicide. But then I also know, like, if somebody was always telling me they were going to commit suicide and they never ended up committing suicide I like would probably not take it seriously if they said it either mm-hmm. but I also wouldn't be like do it today please it's weird. and I feel like like I would be blaming the dad way more than I would be blaming Michelle if I were Lynn I'd be like oh yeah the asshole who tried to get me arrested for like assault he gave my kid a concussion so I'm sure I'm the batterer in the family yeah And, like, I would think that even if he talked to her all the time, like, if you never saw this girl, like, why would you think she had that much power in your son's life? Like, maybe it was his dad that, like, beat the shit out of him three months before his death. Yeah. That you should maybe look at a little bit. Because I would believe that that dad looks like he says those things that are, like, the meanest things you can think of to say to somebody when you're mad and then he doesn't apologize for it after yeah and then when he talked about michelle he was like you mean that bitch who killed my son or something like that you know what i mean like he said something like really really mean about her and it's like well you don't think you had a part in that at all 
Well, yeah, and it's like, I just I have several seats there, Co. Like mm-hmm. you fucking dipshit. Because to them, it's just that they don't want to be responsible, or like for him at least. I yeah. Think that's how it is. But I don't understand why the mom doesn't blame him more because I feel like I would blame him more. I'd be like, really? I never once saw that girl at my house, so I'm real sure she's the only reason why he killed himself. Right. Alice always maintained that the relationship with Michelle was never physical or romantic. And, like, they really don't bring it up anymore. (laughs) So Jesse says um, that she would like send him these desperate like panic texts when he would be you know saying that he was going to commit suicide and then they show Michelle saying like I'm so sorry I couldn't save you please come back this is not happening you're my best friend you're my boyfriend I love you so much please don't leave me and these were all well before like he actually committed suicide Mm -hmm. so on July 12th even though she'd encouraged Conrad all day It also seemed like she was worried that he actually did it. She called and texted a bunch like she was worried. She sounds like she had a psychotic break. She probably did. And Jesse says five days before Conrad died, Michelle went to a movie theater and saw the movie The Fault in Our Stars, which I've never seen. It's very sad. Oh, it's sad. It's very sad. Yes. Oh. It said at the climax of the movie, the boy Gus is dying in a gas station in a Jeep and he calls his girlfriend for help and she calls the police and he gets into an ambulance. So Jesse thinks there were other stories in Michelle's mind that reminded her of what was going on, like in her real life that were very like similar to events in these movies and shows that she was into. Mm-hmm. Um, so he isn't really sure if she was just like playing a story in her mind that for some reason the story was he died or she had no clue what she was doing and like just her entire reality blurred I don't know I think she needs a lot of psychiatric help mm-hmm. and then Michelle texts I thought you actually did it and Jesse says what is obvious to me is that when he really needed somebody to understand how serious it was and to go over his head to the cops to his mother to anyone she wasn't that person and that's her tragic failing she who wanted so badly to have a best friend or someone she could sort of have this intense dyadic affair with had the opportunity to do that with this kid who that night needed somebody to be his friend and to say you're being fucking crazy and i'm calling the police and she didn't do it michelle kept texting i love you and i miss you a bunch of times after his death On day six of the trial, the prosecution and defense delivered their closing arguments. Katie Rayburn says, his death is my fault. Like, honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone with him and he got out of the car because it was working. And he got scared and I fucking told him to get back in. Sam, because I knew he would do it all over again the next day. And I couldn't have him live that way, the way he was living anymore. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't let him. Those were her words, Your Honor. She says to her friend, if I had done something, if I had just told him that I loved him, he would still be alive. Joseph Cataldo says, so they go back and forth. So I just kind of wrote out like what they said. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, Your Honor, this is a suicide. As I said in my opening statement, and as I say now, 
what we're dealing with is a suicide and not a homicide. And this is the government's burden to prove that it was a homicide, a manslaughter under the elements. Proof not by probable cause, not by clear and convincing evidence, but proof beyond a reasonable doubt. If you go through and you look at who actually created this suicidal situation, he brought her with all of her baggage along for this sad journey of his to eventually take his own life. Mm-hmm. And so Katie Rayburn is like, despite his issues, Conrad Roy was a very self-aware young man. He knew when he needed help. Like, okay, I don't think that you could say that, lady. You know what he said was the one reason that he wanted to live? His family. Before the defendant got her hooks in him and started telling him to die every day, he was hopeful. And I wrote, that's a stretch. <laughs> like, because I don't think it was really like that. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just as crazy as she was. So Joseph yeah. says, this is a gentleman who was sadly subjected to domestic violence. In fact, he tells us he had daily intrusive thoughts of witnessing domestic violence. Those are his words he's telling his therapist and the counselors in the records, your honor. And Katie's like, during the days leading up to this, your honor, he told her, I'm scared. I don't have it in me. Another day wouldn't hurt. Every time he came up with an excuse not to do it, she kicked his feet right out from under him and told him why it didn't matter, why he still needed to die. So then they go back to Cataldo, who says, Mr. Royce stated to Michelle Carter, I want to die straight up. Those words, I want to die. To turn around and say that she's bullying him or she got him to do something that he didn't want to do. He's asking her, you want to help? His words, you want to help? He doesn't tell her, stop this, don't call me, lose my number, stop texting me, block the calls, nothing of the like. He continues to use her for his support to carry out his plan. He goes down to Kmart. He doesn't do a U-turn, not seeking any help. Police department down the road, half a mile. He has a cell phone with him. What does he do? He actually, in the phone records, he calls Michelle Carter. The first phone call right there, he calls her. He doesn't call 911. He doesn't call her, his parents. Doesn't call anybody else. He calls Michelle. I suggest why, because he knows that she's encouraging and supporting his plan, which even if that's true, like, I don't understand the point of putting that in there. Um, so Katie Rayburn says she created the harm, your honor, when she told him to get back in the car. He was scared. She knows he's going to die. And she says, I could have done something to stop it. And if I had, he would still be alive today. By her own admission, she caused his death. She knew at that moment that he did not want to die. And like the the funny thing is like I don't even know that anything she told that girl Sam is true. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't even be surprised if like it had come out that like she had never talked to him on the day and she told them all that stuff. Yeah. Um so Cataldo says the Commonwealth is conflating this idea of he was scared as he didn't want to do it. That's what they're doing. They're saying Michelle told a friend that Conrad got out of the car and he was scared because it was working. So Conrad apparently knew it was working and yet chose to get back in. But because he was scared or afraid, they want to physically replace that word that somehow after that, by going back in the car, that wasn't his own decision. He chose to get in that car. He chose to breathe in the fumes. 
There's no evidence that Michelle Carter has any physical actions whatsoever in this case. It was all of his physical activity. And so Katie Rayburn's like, yeah, he got back in the car, but she was the cause of that, Your Honor. She ordered him back in that car, knowing what would happen. It's a new day and age, Your Honor, and the phones we have now allow you to be virtually present with somebody. People fall in love on the internet and via text. People bully people via the internet and via text. And you can encourage somebody to die via text. And you can commit a crime via text. She absolutely knew what she was doing. She absolutely knew it was wrong. And she absolutely caused the death of this 18-year-old boy. And I ask you to find her guilty. I don't know. I still think both of their arguments are kind of bad. Um, I don't think that they're bad. I just don't think that they're fair. Well, yeah. Well, I guess it's not that they're bad. It's like they point out things I probably wouldn't point it out. Like, I don't know why Joseph Cataldo explains so much. I would just be like, she, there's no record that she actually said that to Conrad. Yeah. And you all just spent the last six days telling me what a liar she is. So, okay, if that's the case, then why are you believing that and not believing anything else? Mm Mm-hmm. But so the judge deliberated for two days and, you know, of course, he saw the the tapes of people debating whether or not she should get out uh, or be like held or found guilty and held in jail or, if she, you know, she should get out with no time or whatever. I mean, I think she needs like some psychiatric help. Yeah. Um. So the judge, like basically like goes on forever and a day about you know that he found her guilty (laughs) i'm not reading all of it it was long it was it was it was long and i kept going back and forth like i think i already knew the outcome of it but it was like you never really knew what he was going to say until he said it because it was like so long yeah and like so yeah she was found guilty and they um they appealed so she didn't have to go to jail and so I mean like she's already done her time and gotten out Mm -hmm. um but she didn't have to go for like a long time no I think it was just like a little over a year or something yeah and so the prosecutor you know, obviously is giving a statement after the hearing and the cameras focused on Conrad's dad who keeps tearing up and like, he's just such an asshole. And like, I, I don't know, like he, I was very mad at him. <laughs> um, so the judge basically said that Michelle wasn't responsible for Conrad's being suicidal, but guilty because she told him to get back in. And like the unfortunate thing for her is that there was no proof she actually told him to get back in. So she was just being melodramatic or whatever. Like she just did this to herself. Yeah. I don't think that the end of trials really make people happy and especially not in this case. So like they're all asking her like, are you happy about the outcome? It's like, no, my kid's still dead. I'm not happy. Um, so the Cataldo didn't believe that the, um, the law was on the prosecution side and he was very surprised by the verdict and the clarifications that the judge made. 
And um, so Jesse, the guy from Esquire, basically says what I just said about, like, there's no proof she actually said that to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Bregan says, I don't know if we can believe that Michelle's story is true. He doesn't believe that it's a true story. Michelle had frequently made contradictory statements. And according to Bregan, one of the most striking was that she told her friends that she had never had sex. And Lexi said, haven't you had sex already? And Michelle said, no. Did I tell you I did? And Lexi says, yeah, LOL. I'm like, Michelle, like, did I tell you that I did? Like, you're an idiot. Like, (laughs) keep your lies straight, girl. Then she told a friend that she had sex with Conrad. And then she said, I don't know if IDK, if it's embarrassing or not. I mean, it kind of is, but I went to third with Coco. Like, if she called him Coco, I swear to God. What a stupid name. That's so fucking stupid. It's annoying. (laughs) She said, like, that she went to third with him, and that's the truth. Could you imagine Coco? Like, fuck right off. (laughs) Sam said, I'm going to be honest. I have a hard time believing you went to third. Ha ha. Then she told her friend that Conrad had raped her and that he forced himself on her. And so her text said, like, he took off his pants and shoved his dick at me. And I didn't want to say no and make him mad because I was afraid he wouldn't like me anymore. But he forced it on me. So there was no way around it. And I said, well, Michelle and the truth certainly don't seem like they are friends. (laughs) Like, she lies a lot. And Jesse says, what's scary about Michelle's description of being assaulted is that her friends didn't believe her. I mean, I don't know that that's scary, but, like, that's kind of what happens when you're a big, fat fucking liar. Yeah. Um, Dr. Bregan believes that the DA undermined her own case by calling Michelle a liar constantly. And I don't think he understands that she was found guilty. So, um, she didn't undermine anything. <laughs> like, her case was fine. How did she undermine her own case? But I guess he's saying, like, he wouldn't have found her guilty because if you're telling everyone she's a liar, then you can't believe, like, then none of her statements can be used against her as a statement of fact. Right. what I think he was saying in a very dumb way. Um, And then he's like, many people believe Michelle texted Conrad to get back um, in the car. And, you know, they're showing people saying that. And then... He's like, when I meet people in air airports and stuff, and I'm like, you go up to people. I would be so mad if someone came up to me when I was in an airport. Be like, excuse me. I'm like trying to talk to you. Yeah. He's like, I'd say to them, hey, folks, do you know about this lady who supposedly told her boyfriend to kill himself? He says, people are shocked. People get mad and say things like fake news again. And all I was thinking was like, sir, why are you stopping people in airports to talk about this? <laughs> like... I would have gotten up and moved. <laughs> I would have. Like, that's annoying. Why are you talking to me? I don't know you. I barely talk to people I do know. <laughs> the defense is, appeal- is appealing the case. And Michelle is walking into the courthouse for a sentencing hearing. And some lady is screaming, kill yourself at her. Which seems unwise, considering she just got found guilty for doing that to someone else. Yeah. Like, I'd be like, oh, Really? Well, look, I'm going to go kill myself tonight and y'all better fucking arrest her and put her in jail after this. <laughs> so Michelle faces a maximum of 20 years in jail, which that would be insane if they gave her that. 
Um, Michelle's father wrote a letter to the judge to request leniency. You know, he believed the medication affected her. He believed it was hard for her to determine or distinguish between right or wrong. And then he talked about how, like, throughout her her life, she did typically give to others. And that, you know, like, since this has happened, she's been helpful in all the things she does. Um, he believes she had a misguided intent to help Conrad. Like, that would suck to be her parents, too. It's like, oh, thanks a lot. You make us look real good. <laughs> um, I'd be mad as shit if my kid was a killer. I'd be like, oh, for real? This this is what you choose to do. Like I'm glad, like I raised your ass. I'd be so mad. Oh, I'd be. Li- I'm mad thinking about it. I'd be like, oh, really? Now I get to go down as a bad parent because you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> You'd be mad too. I'd be like, oh, for real. I I feel like I'd be a kid for that. Yeah. If you kill someone, like you're getting your ass beat because now I'm gonna look bad. <laughs> That is the worst when your kids act annoying and you're like, oh, thanks a lot. Now you're a reflection of me, a direct reflection of me. Get out. (laughs) Oh, well, she got sentenced for seven to 12. Oh, the Commonwealth requested a sentence of seven to 12 years, which I thought was weird because like that seems like a lot. Yeah. And the defense were saying they wanted like a rehabilitative um sentence not punitive which i would have thought that's what they would go with but the judge um the judge sentenced her to um two and a half years in the bristol county house of corrections and i think that's where aaron hernandez was um but 15 months of a committed sentence and the balance should be suspended until August 21st, 2022, which I didn't really know what that meant, but I guess like if she never went into jail before August 21st, 2022, then she wouldn't have to go like be responsible for that. Um, And the defense had immediately filed a motion to stay um, the execution of the sentence so what that means is that they were requesting that the prison sentence be delayed until after all the appeals were complete so she wouldn't have to go to jail until after like for sure there was no way that it would be overturned mm-hmm. which the judge granted that request and people had a lot of feelings about that maybe um, he's unfair too maybe that's why he only gave her so little time yeah well i mean i'm surprised he found her guilty though because it was not a jury trial the judge decided yeah but i think he also felt like somebody had to be held responsible yeah no yeah i do believe i mean i think he felt like she like i don't know that necessarily he thought someone should be held responsible but i think he also realized she was not gonna understand what she did wrong if he found her not guilty Hmm. but I mean, who knows? He didn't really go into it that much. But so after a year and a half, she learned that her appeal was denied. And so on February 11th of 2019, the Commonwealth filed a motion for her prison sentence to begin immediately. So she was, um, she had to turn herself in. And I looked up, she cut her hair really short and it made her look like she 
had like four kids and complained a lot. I saw a news thing where when she got out and she was wearing the same clothes out. The exact same. Yeah. But there was a news clip that was like, she's wearing a stylish jacket. And I was like, that's exactly what she wore in a year and a half ago. Like, <laughs> it's not it's not that it's a stylish jacket. She was dressed for court and then had to go straight to jail. Yeah. <laughs> I said her hair is really short and she looked middle aged. This is yeah. a very mom slash Karen looking style. Well, it was probably like the easiest thing for her yeah she definitely looked like she wanted to speak to a manager though yeah <laughs> yeah she, she, she um had to serve 15 months in in prison and so i thought that she would have been in jail when covid hit but i guess she got out like right before covid hit yeah um but yeah so that was it yeah it was good. It was like interesting, but I didn't think she should like I mean I think it was awful what she did, but I didn't really see his decision. Yeah, I didn't and I didn't see the involuntary manslaughter. I didn't think that was fair for her. Mm-mm. But yeah, it was awful what she said and what she did and the urging of it, but I don't think involuntary manslaughter was fair, but she didn't have to serve as long as other people do with involuntary manslaughter. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I did kind of think that because they were both on like antidepressants mm-hmm. and like they both clearly had mental issues that that might be a fact. Like, cause I could see more coming hard on some, coming down hard on someone that didn't have any issues mm-hmm. and was like fairly well adjusted mm-hmm. but like knowing she was like bulimic and had all these issues and that guy said that like bulimic shouldn't even be prescribed Prozac yeah and and I do know that I've heard certain things about like medicines like that like you should not be go on certain ones you know if you have certain issues or whatever mm-hmm. and then also knowing that you know, when you do take depression medication, you do also run the risk, like no matter how small it is of that medicine's going to make it worse. Yeah. And so I did think that they would, maybe that would be a mitigating factor mm-hmm. or that that would like be something else to take into consideration. I was surprised that they did it. Yeah. But I mean, it was a good documentary. Yeah, it was. And then we'll do the Richard Ramirez one next. The Night Stalker. Yeah. yeah. How many parts is that? I think it's four. Okay. Thank you for listening to True Crime True Family. Follow us on our Twitter at TCTFP and Instagram at TCTF Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us where you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review. We appreciate all the feedback. Join us next week.